I'm Kane Winstead. Hello, Internet. I'm Matthew Derrigish. And you're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, where we'll be taking a look at the deep cuts and forgotten stories of the Spider-Man library, looking for lost gems and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. And here we are in the new year, bringing you a tale from everyone's favorite new york superhero and like i don't think that's really said here enough that like new york is just like so important to spider-man's character i don't i don't even know if you could like if it would really work if you if you pulled him out or anything like what what, what do you think matt i feel like stanley covered that at some point in his classic run on the character that if you put him in like suburbia or something it's just not quite the same anyway today's story takes place in scotland <laughs> And it is Amazing Spider-Man Spirits of the Earth, which was written, penciled, inked, painted, lovingly crafted, everything except lettered by Charles Vess. Uh, Letters were by Gaspar Saladino, and it was edited by Jim Salakrup. Uh, Matt, lay it on me. Where can I buy this wonderful tale? Well, if you want the OG, the hardcover, the graphic novel, a little, little oversized, yeah, um, that's 20 bucks, basically about wherever you're looking. Uh, it's been rep- reprinted in the Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection from 2013, that's volume 21, and also in Spider-Man, the graphic novels. Uh, and they use the cover from this graphic novel for that collection, which is, I thought, an interesting note. Or you can find it in Comixology for five buckaroos. Yes, uh, I could have sworn it was on Marvel Unlimited, but I tried as hard as I could to find it, and uh, I could not. That doesn't mean it's not on Marvel Unlimited, but, you know, it's, you know, it's sometimes difficult to find these off titles the way that... They're very, very particular on how you enter in the name. But to my knowledge, it's not on Marvel Unlimited. But um, yeah, uh, I think I think yeah, the, the hardcover starts for about twenty bucks for the for the regular version, like the, the print physical version. But I think you can get the soft cover reprint a little cheaper than that. But either way, it, it's it's going to be a little bit pricier than what we normally cover on our bargain bins, dollar dives, and, uh, uh, you know, penny boxes. I, I feel like we could do, like, a, a Guy Fieri-style comic book show with Maybe that. Maybe the Spider Town? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> You guys can't see right now, but I've frosted, uh, I've got frosted tips in my hair. I've got sunglasses that are upside down and backwards on my head. I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Uh, I'm, I am 100% the mayor of Spider Town right now. I wish he was joking. <laughs> All right. Before we jump into like the book itself, I want to talk a little bit about the the author and his project because Charles Vess is not necessarily someone you would associate with Spider-Man, but he's he's kind of a big name and not just comic books, but illustration in general. Uh, he's probably best known as a fantasy artist. Uh, relative to Marvel, uh, his most iconic piece is probably the cover of Web of Spider-Man number one. So. 
you know the he, he's got the the black suit spider-man kind of crouching over some rubble um you know it's a, a very well done uh piece very very famous uh he he wrote and drew a backup that i really want to cover one day uh in amazing spider-man 277 so if you want to get ahead of the curve go ahead and read that uh he's worked on a few other marvel projects including a warriors of three from thor uh story and marvel fanfare a, a few other mostly and you know marvel's like high fantasy stuff that they were doing in in the 80s um and then, but outside of Marvel is probably like, as far as comics are concerned, his best known work uh, is with Neil Gaiman. He worked on, I think, four issues of Sandman, and he also contributed illustrations to uh, Neil Gaiman's prose novel, Stardust. And all of this is to say that, like, this is kind of a big deal. And, all, like, Vez's background in fantasy and fairy tales and folklore really informs this story and and kind of gives it a little bit more credence because it'd be really weird if we had like conway come out and write a story about like spider-man with like fairies and druids in the scotland highlands but like it's it makes a little bit more sense for someone who's so vested and deeply entrenched in this to to make a story like this Vested, huh? Vested. So, so, so. Oh, I, I see why you laugh. <laughs> so, 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 Vest visited the Scotland Highlands a lot, and that inspiration is evident in a lot of his work. And Spirits of the Earth might be that, like, the most distilled and pure rendition of all of that inspiration. Um, and then, like, Vest himself stated that he viewed the story as, like, that old fairy tale of, like, the, the country mouse visiting the city mouse, his cousin, like, his cousin the city mouse, but in reverse. So we, we, we need to look at the story kind of through that lens and kind of see it as a, a folk story that's been kind of inverted and twisted and Spider-Man dropped in. So, so two main things to all that that you said. I've been around the block, the comic block, a few times. I've never really heard of Vest before, kind of before my era, my time. So this was, you know, something very fresh for me. And if you haven't heard of Vest, don't feel bad. But this is a good way to introduce yourself to him as a Spider-Man fan, which I assume you are if you're listening to our show. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's pretty much the one thing I'll assume for sure. And then the other bit is that whereas what you're talking about coming to the story as being folklore and all that would be great, but the story doesn't ultimately end there. And we'll talk about that. But I think that's an important, interesting thing with this graphic novel, which I think is part of the reason some people kind of wrinkle at it. So. Yes. Yes. So. So. (laughs) (laughs) So. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just just some quick rundown notes on the story itself before we dive into the coverage uh this was this was um published in 1990 forgot to mention that earlier uh in march um it is out of continuity but it's, it's one of those situations where it would fit within continuity if an author wanted to 
right about it, but it wasn't necessarily matching what was going on during March of 1990 in the Spider-Man comics. Kind of the, the, the same idea with the, with the, you know, Tangled Web, the same idea with Marvel Knights. You know, we, we've, we've gone through this song and dance before. This is one of those, one of those things where we're using kind of evergreen continuity or continuity light where we, we don't really have to worry too hard about where this fits in. It just uses the, the, the beats of what's, what's going on with Spider-Man. I mean, I think Vez even mentioned in the notes for the story that he had to go in and reinsert Mary Jane or rather insert Mary Jane uh, after a few drafts because they got married and it took him a while to paint, hand paint all these panels. So what? What? I, I want to make a note because when I was doing a little research for this, I, I found a Wikia site that had a continuity note. Oh? Did you know that in this comic it is stated that Mary Jane and Spider-Man are married? But in fact, later on, they're all... Mo- their marriage was stolen away by Mephisto, and so <laughs> is it technically in continuity the fact that they would say that to each other retroactively? Which I find hilarious, not because someone made that note on this particular wiki entry, but because of the fact that I didn't go through and look. I'm assuming that any comic where there's some sort of actual reference to the marriage, someone's going through and, like, just low-key super upset at the whole One More Day thing, making a note on Wikia entries about how their marriage isn't real anymore. <laughs> or, or it's Joe Quesada himself going through every wiki page <laughs> like, this isn't canon anymore. They were never married. <laughs> And by Joe Quesada, I mean he has an intern specifically for that. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> we love Joe Quesada. We'd love to have him on the show. Joey Q, if you're out there listening to us, listening to us right now, love to have the cup of Joe with you. There we go. <laughs> we, we're positive here. We're, we're positive about our creators. All right, all right, all right. We're, we're, we're skating dangerously off topic now. So right. are we it, good to dive into the text or is there anything else you want oh, we, to we still, talk we still, about? We still haven't given them the synopsis. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in this, Mary McLeod uh, has recently passed away who, spoilers, is mary jane's aunt so mary jane has this like never before mentioned scottish aunt and never uh, mentioned again and never mentioned again scottish aunt who just so happens to have like really loved mary jane enough to like will her land to mary jane and like there's like a few throwaway notes in the story like mj going through her house like oh a picture of me from my christening she was there she must have really loved me um but yeah there it, it's mj and peter go on their their second honeymoon to scotland to check out this estate there is some legal issues with with the the inheritance that they have to tie up um and adventure happens there there there's there's supernatural things afoot and your boy spider-man's on the case uh 
Yeah, so there's a few things there that already, like, reading this now just kind of raises a few eyebrows, because this is, like, this moment alone in someone's life is, like, the definition of charmed life. Like, <laughs> oh, you just have land now? Like, even if you don't want the land, you can sell land in Scotland. That's how you amass, not necessarily a fortune, but enough to not work, mm-hmm. you know? Like, and there's all this other stuff, and people just flock to her because she's a super model um yeah right for for someone who had like a pretty rough upbringing uh mary jane as an adult led a charmed life i mean sure she gets kidnapped by venom every once in a while but like she's dating a superhero or i'm sorry she's married to a superhero or dating depending on she's not continuity notes come on (laughs) i was about to say if joe quesada's listening they were only seriously dating and cohabilitating for years you know in in a monogamous relationship but but this isn't a oh, marriage. Um, that brings up an interesting question. They were cohabitating long enough. Do the New York laws make it so that they would have been uh, common law married? Term? Yeah, uh, we'll have to look up common law marriage uh, well, next also with time. The rubber band of time, you know. Would it <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, next time on Untold Legal Matters of Spider Man. <laughs> uh, but so yeah, so so on top of that, but does this sound like a Nigerian prince scam? Like, you just get this letter, like, hello, I am Scottish Ant. I, I have recently died and left you huge amount of land. Please wire $600 to unlock huge amount of land. I will then rewire you $1,200. Is not scam. I mean, luckily this was before email, right? Or oh, yeah, email yeah. was big. So um, I also Short like that my Nigerian accent was just Borat, <laughs> like a bad Borat too. Like Nigerian, no cut, like like, uh, like uh, <laughs> for the younger ones in the audience, Borat was a movie. Don't watch it. Your parents Don't will get mad up. at us. Yeah. <laughs> Also, I know that Nigeria is nowhere near Kazakhstan. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, Glad to know you passed geography. Hey, I went to an Alabama public school. That's not a given. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so we have the dubious setup. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you want to proceed talking about this? Well, um, I mean, I, th- I think I think we just need to talk about the broad strokes of this because this is an eighty-page graphic novel, but a lot of it is is focused on kind of like setting up the character, setting up the political intrigue, and because we we mentioned legal issues, and so there uh, essentially development is trying to come through the the, the Scottish town, and you know it's it's the the age-old story of. You know, big business coming in and trying to push people out of their land and people like this is our home, but money is also kind of tight because this is kind of like a sleepy area. So and and so, I mean, I feel like we don't really have to touch on that. It's it's a very it's a very well-worn trope. Well, okay, but knowing that's there. So at a certain point, this goes from daring adventures in real estate to a Spider-Man story. (laughs) 
<laughs> and to, to tie to tie that thread, there are ghosts, again, that folklore, coming in and scaring people out of the town. They don't know what to do. It's been creeping up. They And the ghosts are only scaring some people and not others. And it's starting to grow, creating this kind of paranoia and this uncertainty. It wasn't like just a sudden onslaught of ghosts. I, I, whatever. Um, and so people are slowly looking at moving away, getting out. While this real estate and this big company is coming in to try to buy everything. Who is this big company? Does it really matter? Because it turns out they're owned by the Hellfire Club. I did like that, like, Hail Mary pass of, like, tying this into the greater Marvel continuity. Like, uh, so so the big bad, Angus Munro, uh, did I say that right? It, like, Mon- I'm not going to correct you. <laughs> um, reveals that his, like, great, great, great uncle was a founding <laughs> member of the Hellfire Club. He reveals this, of course, in the secret underground lab that's currently crumbling down as Spider-Man is fighting, like, faceless goons. So, yes, as Matt said, this does eventually turn into a Spider-Man story. But um, it was... It it was just a like like i said a hail mary pass to kind of connect this to the greater marvel marvel continuity but what i guess what kind of bothered me about this comic in a way was we had this whole spiritual thing and yeah there's the real estate thing but a lot of it is spider-man swinging around trying to figure out what's going on with these ghosts spider-man's got to do some ghost busted i'm all about that busted makes me feel good whoa you said no singing and here you are <laughs> chase aside it's because busted makes me feel good um um i what made me kind of sad was the fact that these ghosts are generated by some marvel tech and yeah they're holographic ghosts first edition i mean it was the 90s but i kind of wanted this to be you know ghosts it's marvel it's not like the supernatural's out of reach like i I, I thought kind of shying away from that was odd. Also, I should point out that the spirits and kind of the, the way they were referring to it is something I would have had access to a few years ago. But this is tied to the mythos of the Wild Hunt, which if you're familiar with the Witcher series, which has been more popularized uh, since at least America's side... Uh, that's a big component of that and kind of learning about the lore of that realm is interesting because they didn't have a Brothers Grimm or anything. They just had the oral tradition. So the idea of the Wild Hunt is either just kind of like the idea of spirits or it's one spirit to kind of rule them all or it's been done in so many different ways because these oral traditions have just kind of spanned out. And this story doesn't fully play on that but plays on that a little bit which I thought was really interesting and was fascinating because at the time to a presumably mostly American audience this idea of the Wild hunts pretty inaccessible but they just kind of went for it for those who aren't familiar with polish fantasy series uh can can you give us a quick rundown on the wild hunt i i mean that's the thing you can't Ah. because it's done in so many different ways sometimes it is one creature sometimes it's the idea of the hunt coming in sometimes it's the spirit in man that like takes over and becomes a bit murderous like it's done in so many Mm -hmm. different ways there's no single interpretation of it unless you're looking at like the witcher and the way it's interpreted there which is only three ways so yeah that's what's fascinating about the mythology there is that it's not set in stone the way it has been in say england right okay um 
I thought I thought it was a little interesting how they handled uh, kind of the, the spirituality because yes, it's set in the Marvel universe, so um, you know the the folklore, the fantasy, the ghosts, and everything that those could be real. But the way the way it's kind of angled is that the only one who truly has mystical powers is this. Uh, oh shoot, what's his Mariel character? Mm-hmm. And even then, even toward the end, it's only like it's only implied that she actually has mystical powers like it's i mean it's never outright stated but it's 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 implied it's it's strongly implied i'll even say strongly implied um you know there there are times where it seems that like she's able to like see through spider-man's mask or has some sort of like divination to know peter's true identity or and then which is interesting because how does it really matter to her anyways like who's peter parker to anyone in scotland (laughs) <laughs> that gets to another point that i want to talk about where like this happens this happens every time we have one of these stories where like spider-man shows up in the florida everglades or whatever and no one's been ever ever able to connect the dots like hey spider-man only seems to pop up when peter parker goes abroad like you know, like, remember that one time we sent Peter over to Germany and then all of a sudden Spider-Man showed up and, like, people were taking pictures of Spider-Man and, like, that one time we took, sent Peter to the Everglades and then Spider-Man showed up? Or that one time Peter went on a honeymoon to Scotland and then Spider-Man showed up? No one, no one ever does that. No one, yeah, I mean, like... Spider-Man needs a Raza ghoul character to tie these things together. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it's, it's kind of like the, you know, Clark Kent puts on a pair of glasses and no one knows he's super... And I, I can already see, I can already see it on your face. I already see it on your face. <laughs> and I know, I know it's not that he just puts on a pair of glasses. He compresses his spine and, like, no, 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 carries no, no, himself no. differently. No. And No, no, Jeff Loeb had the best answer for this in uh, Superman Batman when Supergirl comes and Supergirl's staring at the statue um, mm-hmm. in um, Metropolis square of superman with the eagle you know that classic Mm -hmm. and she said no wonder they never recognize you they'd never look for you among them as a mere mortal they revere you that's why no one can tie clark kent to superman because they can't make that mental leap because no one looks for him as a man okay okay well which is something spider-man has none of that that's also true i mean like even in scotland even in scotland he's a menace or or a demon or a demon menace that was one of my favorite jokes in there mm-hmm. demon hey no need to name call you know <laughs> so of course you know once we transition from the thrilling real estate drama to kind of the spider-man story spider-man's like stalking around and and he literally generates an angry mob like pitchforks and torches in hand chasing him through the town calling him a demon i mean if is it's just not classic spider-man <laughs> like, it's kind of classic nightcrawler though oh well yeah well i mean well that's a little bit more on the nose because he he literally looks like a demon and depending on whether or not we're going to be calling certain stories canon is a demon or at least the son of a demon oh that's pretty well established in x-men oh it is now okay yeah. well um was that was that the chuck dixon no the chuck dixon story is when he became the pope yeah yeah there's been a lot with that in nightcrawler but we're not an x-men podcast i am not oh yeah we, yeah we need to get fruit. adam back on here and it's like corner i'm like yeah let's talk about this nightcrawler spider-man team up so about that time nightcrawler was the pope <laughs> i bet he'd love it um <laughs> Man, yeah, so... 
Yeah, so we're, we're kind of talking around this, but the hard part about this is there's this fun Spider-Man stuff with the ghost that goes on for a number of pages post-thrilling real estate. But then this whole tie to the Monroes and the Hellfire Club and what's really going on is done in like five pages. And what's... I went through a lot of old reviews of this comic to try to get down what people's opinions were generally. A lot of people seem to like it. A lot of people are very taken with the art, and rightfully so. We need to talk more about the artistic merits of this graphic yeah, we, novel. Yeah, we, we will once we finish the, the story bits. But the, the main negative complaint wasn't just that people didn't feel the script was as tight as it could be, or, you know, how the internet goes about talking about these things. But in particular, I saw a number of people compare the story to Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Which makes a sense. There's kind of these ghosts, and they pull the mask off, and there's the machine, and well, you have well the whole... it's 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 not even that. It's that you know, again, for the younger listeners out there, which I don't even know how many we have, um, a mainstay of the Scooby Doo, like the old Scooby Doo cartoon, a mainstay plot was a real estate issue where someone was trying to buy land. And then so they would dress like the villain would dress up as a monster to scare off people from the land. But like there wasn't a monster. And that's, that's literally what happened here was that they made a bunch of holograms to look like ghosts to scare people away so that they could get this land. And they would have gotten away with it too. If it wasn't for that menacing Spider-Man and his hot wife. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But, oh God, what was I about to say? <laughs> Sorry, I, I just knocked myself off track there. Um, yeah, I, I don't have anything else to say about the story. Oh, um, can you run by me what exactly was going on underneath the castle? Because that, that's where I got lost in the sauce. So there's like this giant crystal underneath the castle. And like apparently, it could, they can use it to like like transform like like Marvel science with light and crystals to create holograms. Like trying mm-hmm. to make sense of the magic science isn't really something. I'm right, going but to like they could also to... apparently like vibrate it to make Spider Man's brain explode, or I, like right, I don't right. know, like. It was like this is I think where where Vess was trying to tie this more into like a an idea of fairy tales and kind of a modern take because like he even uh, Spider Man even mentions in dialogue he he refers to these people under under the castle messing with these gems as like modern fairies and like and he means fairy in more of like the the uh, European tradition rather than what we think of as fairies in kind of, uh, you know, pop fantasy. But anyway, um, so yeah, I got I got a little lost in the sauce there, but I, I felt like the, the ending confrontation was really well done. Uh, it did my, my favorite thing where you just beat the tar out of Spider-Man and like to the point where he, like he can fight like kind of a, a doughy old, like middle-aged Scottish man and it's like somewhat of a fair fight until he gets his head back in the game. Um, so, you know, they drop a bunch of rocks on him. His, his arm breaks. He's exhausted. He gets shot in the head, but it's like only a glancing blow. So it mostly just knock, rattles his noggin rather than scrambles his brains. And then he's got to fight this this Angus Munro guy. And, and Munro, Munro looks like he has him on the, the rocks until like Mary Jane and Muriel pull like some sort of maybe magic thing, kind of like restore Spider-Man's strength. 
to the point where he can ragdoll this guy because you know spider-man's i I think at this point he's still in like the 10 ton region um so basically spider sense doesn't work in scotland yeah well you know it's it's a regional thing uh (laughs) but anyway and then it ends with an like a just a great page of like fire and brimstone erupting from uh from the 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 sea and uh it's just it's really visually taking and i think that's a great segue to move into talking about the art which is really the showcase of this comic i feel um you know going back to the top of the episode where i was talking about this is like uh vess's inspirations kind of distilled into their purest form like the the backgrounds the the scenery the landscapes in these are all breathtaking some of some of the spreads some of the spreads are also fantastic like the first page of spider-man swinging through new york uh with like kind of the lens flare at the bottom and like the big skyscraper i would like i want that as a poster i I want the original art i want this like tattooed on my body i want this like on my tombstone i just like i want my whole being to be this image all right sorry i I just really liked that (laughs) no that's cool i yeah no i i thought it was interesting because here we have a painted comic of some renowned and Usually when I think of painted comics, I think of artists going for the hyper-realistic look, Alex Ross, that kind of thing. And this isn't. This is stylized. And there's a few points where I know your hyper-vigilant art critics uh, might look at things and say things are off perspective or off anatomy. But part of that is to the style. And like when you have a character looking, you know, at not profile, but at side, he kind of does that odd half face thing that you'll see in more, I guess, European art or whatnot, where you can really see all the features of the face, but that's not how a face would appear. And so the eye seems off if you stare at it too long, that kind of thing. It's, it's interesting. It's stylized and it's made to work for the reader and not made to be hyper-realistic. And I I just thought that was interesting because it's so rare to get a painted comic to begin with, but to get a painted comic that's truly stylized and truly artistic over realistic was just cool it, that's part of what makes this a fun read is you get to see stuff you don't see not only in spider-man comics but pretty much comics ever unless you're doing heavy metal even then anymore right and i mean uh charles voss this uh drew for heavy metal or submitted illustrations uh i i you sure. know don't know but um I, you know, I, I, w- I wish I knew a little bit more about art so I could really like dive into kind of the, the his inspirations. I, I know that uh, Art Nuevo, or if I'm saying new art, um, I, you know, I, I'm terrible with French, um, is an inspiration for Vess. And we even have the, the title card for this comic is is a art art like very much in that that art nuevo style um not 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 the not the the cover image but like the it's the the second image right before the the comic starts where it has all the the legal stuff but it's got like the the spider-man and you know what i'm talking about well yeah and i mean when you're talking about the inspiration though there's a whole Mm -hmm. you know essay in the back about the inspiration for this where a lot of the backgrounds that are so breathtaking are essentially kind of these travel uh renditions where he went to scotland and he was so taken with the place that uh someone at marvel said basically like why don't you just take a popular marvel character and throw him in scotland and make something happen which is how this came about essentially like why not 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's rare to actually have, especially in the Spider-Man comic, have the backgrounds really be the feature. But right, that's I mean, like modern day now, it's like someone drew a ba- background. All right, it's not just a gradient, um, <laughs> which. Oh man, I I could make a whole podcast about me just complaining about that. But anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, catch this... us on the B title reviews. Oh yeah, yeah, B title reviews. There we go. That's it's it's mostly Kane complaining about gradients. Give me that four dollars. <laughs> no, um, it, it's it's not. We we have some very nuanced and uh, interesting discussions about the Light B titles. Oh. <laughs> Drinking on the job again, Matt. It's water. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, like, I feel like we haven't really spent that much time talking about the art. But again, like, it's just it's it's difficult to. Well, I mean, what's there to say? I mean, it's breathtaking landscapes. There's mm-hmm. this, as you put it, Art Nuevo style. There, There's this you know, painterly thing going on. I mean, it's all there. It's just got to look at it. It's pretty. It, that's why you're paying for this one. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. So not to downplay the story or anything, but the reason this is a like $20, $30 story in hardback is not because this is going to be like a tale that knocks your socks off. It's because you're getting these gorgeous paintings of like Spider-Man in the more like you know, in, in the moors of, of, of Scotland, just like swinging, swinging by castles, um, you know, these just fantastic images. Um, you know, the, the figure drawing might be a little stylized, I think is the word that we, we, we've been using. But like the color palettes are like everything is just so inviting about just looking at this comic. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm flipping through it again right now. And it's just like, oh, it's just, I, I. <laughs> I, I want I want to like every every page of this I want on my wall, um, and I just I just have the the hardcover like collection. I I really wish I had this in like the singular form, but I've never been able to find it in person. Um, so someday, someday. Anyway, uh, any, any closing remarks on this? I do. I I've said all I have to say about this one. I I think it's an interesting one. It's not the best spider-man story ever told it may not even be the prettiest spider-man story ever told but it's it's an interesting oddity and that fish out of water story of him being in scotland makes it worth the read yeah yeah i I think an oddity and a curiosity is probably the best way to describe this book um it's it's just it's interesting it's not something you normally see and it's it's done well um so yeah i i guess that's that's my my closing closing remark all right, Kane. So number 13 on our list is Family Business, which is the other original graphic novel that was a painted work. If you're like me, I think this deserves to be above Family yes. Business. Yeah, All yeah. right. So we're, I don't know, a little above half already our list. And that that's a good start. Yeah, that's a good start. Now, all right. 
we're really well, like we're really getting again into the same issue I've had with family business, where like the art I think really elevates the story in a way that's unique and kind of makes it difficult to compare to other stories. Uh, the next, you know, the next step up is our pumping up line, which also just happens to be right above family business. Do you think this crosses our our pumping up line, which has been our, like our baseline for a solid Spider-Man story? Yeah. I, I'd put this I'd put this above pumping up though I do love our hamburger eating scene <laughs> I mean like uh, yeah this is this is not to to uh, uh, denigrate pumping up it's it's a good story it's it's a solid you know yeah. fun little spider-man ditty but like it, it's again it's our baseline like it doesn't do anything special it's just it was the the what was it web of spider-man story that month like it, you know. Yep. So, um, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm going to put this under Kemia's Castle above the Christmas Day. I felt like Kemia's Castle was just a stronger Spider-Man story. It told a little bit, it, like, it told a story that used Spider-Man stronger than this used Spider-Man. This, like you said, was just throw a Marvel character into this Scotland story you want to write, and Spider-Man was probably the easiest choice because he's the most marketable um well i also you get that fish out of water more so than you do another characters you have a singular character whereas others you'd have to try right. yeah i was about to say except for maybe the x-men but they already have baggage in scotland and there's a bunch of them so yeah excalibur an entire series which i think mm-hmm. was running at this time the fact that they didn't pull that through i was um i guess that wasn't scotland was it, it was no i don't think it was yeah, but it was... close enough that's a hop skip and a jump anyways uh, but I, I'm with you, except that I think they did pull Spider-Man into this story well enough. Like, it came through. Oh, yeah, no, it came through. I'm not saying they didn't do that well. I'm just saying that Kimia's Castle did it better. Well, I mean, Kimia's Castle is a great Spider-Man story, I think. And I, I agree with you. I think that's basically the place to put this one. The new number 10 Bumping our Christmas story off the top 10 of our list is Spirits of the Earth, the Spider-Man graphic novel. Not from the Marvel graphic novel series, though. No, and that's... Yeah, it gets really confusing um, with the whole graphic novel thing, because, like, the numbering is weird. Uh, Like, some things... Like, the names will change, and, like, oh, God. Sometimes they'll jump imprint, sometimes it'll be Marvel, sometimes it'll be Epic, uh, but... And like, yeah, it's just, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. So this one's number is OGN. Mm-hmm. All right. So for the next episode, we are going to be taking a look at Peter and Mary Jane's first honeymoon, since this is their second one, with Spectacular Spider-Man Annual number seven. Uh, we're, we're going to, um, what, what's what's the term? Um, anyway, we're going to retroactively cotton, or yeah, we're going to retcon in that this is the uh, uh, honeymoon block <laughs> of, of that we're going to be doing. Just, just a little twofer for you guys. But uh, so that's Spectacular Spider-Man Annual number seven written by Christopher Priest. Um, I, I think he was still Jim Owsley at this point. Um, but anyway... Uh, thanks again everyone for listening um you know if you haven't feel please feel free to subscribe and leave a review for the show uh it helps us and it felt helps others find the show which also helps us 
gives us the warm fuzzies. You know, you know you love those warm fuzzies. And if you love spreading those warm fuzzies, uh, you can join our Patreon for a mere $3.99 a month. You get exclusive access to the untold talks of Spider-Man B-Title reviews, the amazing Spider-Talks Uh, amazing Spider-Man reviews, as well as access to our Slack community's VIP channel, the Amazing Spider Slack, VIP Patreon only. Anyway, (laughs) getting lost in the sauce again. Um, Yes, yes. So any, any support from just listening to the show to sharing with other people to subscribing to giving us more money than we deserve you know we love we love you guys we, we do this we do this for the fans we're, we're really out here for you guys but anyway matt what are you doing <laughs> was that going on so long that you didn't pull out a game boy and start just oh well <laughs> I was communicating with our fans via Twitter at UntoldTalksSPMN. Or, you know, you could just contact them directly, or they could contact you at KaneWrites on Twitter, or they could contact me at MagicalMet42. All right, yes. Or, and we would all. Or, or we're on Facebook. Untold we Talks are on Facebook. Spider-Man. We're on Facebook. And when I have like horrible, horrible sickness and wake up at three o'clock in the morning, I will respond to your messages. Or I'll respond to them in a sober manner. I was sober. I was just also very, very (laughs) ill. (laughs) Anyway, special thanks to the LA Badge for providing our theme song. If you'd like to listen to more from the LA Badge, please check out the show notes for links. And until Kane lifts his kilt, make mine untold. Next time on the Untold Talks of Spider-Man. Oh, oh, I'm going to give me some asthma. We'll be covering the spectacular Spider-Man annual number seven with the fearsome foe Puma. Learn more as we learn more. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) Do do, do you want to use that or? or... Yeah, it's good. (laughs)